5, uh, verse 14 through to 30, which is on page 997 in the Church Bibles. Sorry. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, hard vesting, where you, had, where you have not sown and gather, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid... And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless service outside, servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's a real joy and a privilege to bring you the word this morning. I do not take it lightly. As a church, we're taking a break from our Acts sermon series, and over four weeks, we're exploring how shall we respond to God's amazing grace. One of the main questions that we're asking ourselves is how can we be good stewards of our whole life? How can we be good stewards for God? Sue began this series, and this morning I continue it as we explore the parable of the talents. Our passage this morning, it's a familiar one, but it's a challenging one, and let's not shy away from that. Let's ask God for help in prayer so that we can understand this word and be transformed by it. Let us pray. Almighty God, 
you know where we're at. Work with us now. Help us to be fed by your precious word. Help us to live according to your will in our lives. I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be always acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen. This week I had a bit of a new experience. As many of you know, I'm not that big into sport. Uh, But on Thursday night, I went along with some of our young adults to a basketball game. It was the first professional live basketball game that I've ever gone to. And we had the privilege to sit courtside. So I got to you know, sit up close and personal and watch it happen. It was fantastic. You've got the Otago Nuggets playing off against the Canterbury Rams. And I got to witness these young men playing the game, giving all they had to win. And all I could think was, man, these guys are talented. And not a lot of you know this, but I used to be part of the um, basketball team of my high school. And so I started to get flashbacks. Believe it or not, I was in the top tier team. And that's not a reflection on my skills, it's a reflection on the lack of skills <laughs> of everyone in my high school. Uh, we lost every single game, and by huge margins. The other team would be in the hundreds and would be in the single digits. And so I watched and I appreciated and somewhat envied the talent of these basketball players. I think it's important right at the get-go to unpack what we mean by talent. Talent, it's a word in our language, but both the English word and what it actually means comes from the parable we've just heard. You know, the word talent, it refers to aptitude, a person's ability to accomplish something. But in the New Testament, the word talent is a unit of weight for money. That's why in our reading, we actually had bags of gold. In fact, it's the largest unit of money. One talent was equivalent to 20 years of a day worker's wages. You imagine that, 20 years of wages. But in Jesus' parable, he's clearly using it symbolically. He's using this large sum of money to imply any God-given stewardship we're entrusted with, including our abilities. And as John Bloom notes, this became so commonly taught in Christianized Britain that by the 14th century, talent had been adopted into English to mean our abilities and aptitudes, which is fine. But the way we can use talent today can be quite different from the original intention. We often use it to distinguish people of remarkable ability. That's the way I was using it. These basketball players are talented, as in they are, and I'm not. That's not how Jesus is using it. Bishop J.C. Ryle in his commentary says this, in the sense in which our Lord used the word in this parable, It applies to all baptized people without distinction. We have all talents in God's sight. We are all talented people. Okay, so anything that we can use to glorify God is a talent. That means our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affection, our privileges, they're all talents. And this is important. We, and and I mean all those who are in Jesus are talented. I think this is important to get right at the get-go, because I'm going to be referring to talents a lot in this sermon, so I want us to be clear going forward what I mean by it. 
Talent here means all the gifts Jesus has given to his people, given to you. With that said, let's turn to our parable. Let's turn to the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then he went on his journey. Let's unpack this a bit. We have a master who has to go away, but he entrusts his affairs to his servants, more precisely, his money. The master is going, but importantly, he will come back. In his absence, he expects that his servants will be working for him, will be increasing his wealth. Jesus is using this illustration to describe the life of a Christian who is waiting for his return. A few weeks ago, I preached on the ascension from Acts 1. Remember, he was taken up before their very eyes and the disciples got that rebuke. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has gone from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's important to note that this section in Matthew, which begins in the previous chapter, is all about how Jesus is going to come back. And that Christians in the meantime must be prepared for that. This is where we find ourselves. We read in Matthew 24, there keep watch. Before you, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. To be ready, to be prepared. The parable of the ten virgins which is right before this parable, is all about being prepared for the Lord's coming by our readiness to meet him at any moment. And the parable that we've just read, the parable of the talents, it adds to this theme of being prepared and ready. We are to be productive in our waiting. This is the theme of Jesus' teaching here. I'm coming back, be prepared, be ready, be productive. As I was watching this basketball game on Thursday, the most exciting part of the game was the last five minutes. So you've got this big timer out on the court, and you get to the last quarter, and you get to the last five minutes, and something shifts. The players suddenly have a spike in their energy and efforts, and then they try to get as many baskets as they can before you get to zero. And everyone gets on the edge of their seat. You even had me yelling out, come on. And it's like that. Christians, we're in the last five minutes. That is what Jesus is saying. The master can return at any moment. And we don't, we don't have a timer. We don't know when he's going to come back. But we're going to have to act as if he could come back at any moment. Act as if we're in the last five minutes. Therefore, we are to be prepared, to be ready, to be productive. That's the context of this parable the theme of being prepared for the return of Jesus. Do we live as if Jesus can return at any moment? 
do we live in the last five minutes of the game with an energy and an activeness? Having said something about the context, let me step into the parable. The first thing to notice is that each of the servants are given their talents. They are given them. This is an image of the grace of God. We're exploring how to be a good steward, and it's important to take a step back and answer the why. Why should we be good stewards? Why? Because this is how we respond to God's amazing grace. This is the gospel. You and every other person, all of creation, was broken, desperately stuck in the cycle of sin, separated from God himself and deserving of death. Yet God, in his loving mercy, pursued us and sought us. Jesus took on flesh, that is, he entered into our condition. Jesus lived the perfect life and then Jesus died, the death we deserved. He experienced isolating darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. But death and all the powers of hell could not defeat him. He was raised to life on the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and now is glorified. For anyone who believes in Jesus and is in him will likewise be raised to the newness of life and will enjoy fellowship with him forevermore. Talents are everything we have received from God that is life, breath, being, our right standing, our powers, our abilities. You've done nothing to earn them. This is only because of God's radical grace. Therefore, there is only one response. That is to do everything you can for God. To use everything you can for his glory. Do you know the grace of God? Not just as a vague doctrine, not just as head knowledge. Do you know this in your heart? Do you know it functionally? That you've been given everything. And therefore, you owe God. But this isn't just an obligation you're trying to meet. It's out of utter gratitude and thanks to God's grace. He saved you. He redeemed you. He filled you with his Holy Spirit. He calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. And therefore, out of this response of love and thanksgiving, you can use everything you have to honor him and to bring him glory. Let me frame it slightly differently also. Not only has God saved you and redeemed you, but now the master of life trusts you. He gives you charge of his affairs as he goes out on this journey. He looks at you, and this is every Christian, he looks at you and gives you talents to build his kingdom. He wants us to be part of the kingdom building work. Importantly, we note giving each according to his ability. The master's character is so beautiful and caring, not giving anyone something that is beyond them, but because he knows each of us intimately, he gives us talents accordingly. The Christian life, it's not about spectating. It's not about watching a basketball game and thinking, man, these guys are talented. It's not about watching your brother or your sister minister and for you to sit back. No, you have to 
You have to use your talents that you've been given accordingly. God invites you to be part of the team and actually play. It's a privilege to be part of the team. It's a privilege to play the game. And not only is it a privilege, but it is an expectation. The master gave each of his servants talents we read in the parable. And I said that there is only one proper response. But as the parable unfolds, we find two very different responses. Let's unpack them. So we read in verse 19. So after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents bought the other five. He says, I've gained five more. And so his master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had two comes back and he says, look, I've gained two more. And his master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. These two good and faithful servants in their master's absence were prepared. They were ready. They were productive. They knew that their master would return and settle accounts with them. They felt privileged of being, they felt the privilege of being trusted. They were overwhelmed by the grace that was shown. I mean, I'm just a servant, and you're giving me authority over your assets? You trust me? You elevate me? I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. And so they do everything they can to increase their master's wealth, to build his household. And so the master, when he comes back, he affirms these servants, you have been faithful with what I gave you. Come and share in my happiness. The master's heart is being revealed here. Jesus' worthy servants will share in his joy and his happiness. I want to share with you the story of a great and faithful servant. I share this to encourage us. Recently, got to research and write about Bishop James Hannington. It's a name I'm sure most of us have never heard of. But what he did with his talents produced great wealth for his master. Hannington was born in 1847 in England. He was born to Christian parents, and at the age of 27, he ends up getting ordained. He ends up being a curate in a small church. Um, but he hasn't yet experienced the transforming power of the gospel. He doesn't even know about God's grace. He doesn't understand it, and he confesses that to a friend. He's also a minister. He says, I cannot believe that I can ever be saved, and I feel that I have no right to preach to others. And so his friend does what everyone else would do. He sends him a book and tells him to read it. Hannington struggles to even pick it up, and at least two times he throws it away. But for the sake of his friendship, he finally reads it. And in that book, there is a chapter titled, Do You Know That Your Sins Are Forgiven? And as Hannington read that book, he heard the gospel afresh and was convicted and transformed by it. And in his own words, as I was in bed at that time reading, I sprang out and leaped about the floor, rejoicing and praising God that Jesus died for me. He recognizes the grace of God and what is his response? 
Everything changed for him. He understood God's grace and then realized he had to steward what God had given him. Steward the talents that he has. And he ends up being the first missionary bishop to Uganda. And his mission trip, it actually only lasts a few months. In that few months, he ends up baptizing, confirming and ordaining many Native Africans. And he plants churches and these missionary stations. But the king of Uganda is resolute in snuffing out the gospel. And so he starts to target him. And on one of his journeys, James Hennington is ambushed by men sent by the king. These men violently seized him. And as Hennington's journal records, my clothes were torn to pieces so that I was exposed, wet through with being dragged on the ground, strained in every limb, and for a whole hour expecting instant death, hurried along, dragged, pushed at five miles an hour until we came to a hut. And after torturing Hennington for about a week, he was finally speared to death. His last, his last words were this, Go tell your master I have purchased the road to Uganda with my blood. Bishop James Hennington was among the first martyrs of Uganda. He died in response to God's grace. He died in his stewardship. A dedication stone was erected for Hennington in a church in England. It bears the inscription, Thou hast turned my heaviness into joy. Thou hast turned my heaviness into joy. As Hennington took his final breath, he knew that his death was not in vain. He was following the footsteps of the one for the joy set before him endured the cross. And so he was sharing in the happiness of his master at that moment. Two things happened as a result of how Hennington stewarded his talents. In 1886, the Religious Tract Society published the following. Already the death of the good bishop has fired anew the missionary spirit, so that even in the few weeks after the news came, 53 young men offered themselves to the Church Missionary Society for the mission field. The way Hennington used his talents inspired 53 men that year and countless more throughout the generations, including the preachers standing in front of you. The second thing that happened was this. After Hennington's execution, widespread persecution took place of the faithful. 32 young Ugandan men were gathered and they were burnt alive. But rather than discouraging Ugandans from the Christian faith, this courageous testimony of these young converts in the face of horrible suffering brought more and more Ugandans to Christ. Faith MacDonald recounts in her book what happened next. Less than half a century after the fire of martyrdom had scarred the land, a new fire blazed in Uganda. Revival. The East African revival started when an English missionary met with a Ugandan Anglican in 1929. Their encounter resulted in the transformation of lives and started a revival in East Africa that has never been put out. The way Hennington stewarded his talents built the kingdom of God. The grace he encountered meant that everything he had, including his very life, was to be used for the purpose of growing the kingdom of God. He stewarded his life in a way that purchased Uganda for his master. Now, I don't tell you this story because I want you to think, wow, 
This man is out of the ordinary. He's somehow distinct from me. I tell you that because this is just another Christian who, having experienced grace, went out to steward his talents as a response. How are you responding to God's grace in your life today? How are you using the talents that God has given you? In whatever stage of life and context you find yourself in, how are you building the kingdom of God? How are you laboring for God's glory? Are you stewarding your talents as a Christian in Dunedin, as a member of Hope Church, as students, as workers, as mothers and fathers and retired people? Are you responding to God's grace in your context today? There's another response to ponder on. Let's look at the third servant. We're reading from verse 24. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid the talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. What is his master's response? You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my talent on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And then that servant is thrown outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, we read. The response of the wicked servant is rooted in a misunderstanding about the character of the master. The servant does not know the heart of grace and love that his master has, but rather only sees him as hard, as one who exploits others. That's what he sees the giving of the talent to be, not a radical act of generosity. He doesn't see how privileged he is. He doesn't even value the talent All he sees is that the master is using him so that the master can gather where he has not done the actual work himself. This is the twisted understanding the servant has of the master and what he has received. He doesn't even try to earn him interest. He just gives it back. Here you go. And so the master judges him. The settling of counts that takes place in this parable is true for every Christian. God will indeed judge us all. And I want to once again quote J.C. Ryle. There is a judgment before us according to our works, certain, strict, and unavoidable. High or low, rich or poor, learned or unlearned, we shall all have to stand at the bar of God and to receive our eternal sentence. There will be no escape. Concealment will be impossible. We and God must at last meet face to face. We shall have to render an account of every privilege that was granted to us and of every ray of light that we enjoyed. There's a weightiness to the passage this morning. This is a word of judgment to every believer in the room this morning. Are we going to respond to the grace God has given us in faith Or are we going to bury our talent in the ground and in doing so offend and grieve the master who has given to us, trusted us, and invites us to share in his happiness? 
as I come to the end of this message, let me share the following as takeaways for us sitting here. Move the doctrine of grace from your head to your heart. I know most of us know that God has given us everything. But don't just know it, treasure it, ponder on it, meditate on it, savor that thought. What God has done for you requires a response. If you're going to walk away with anything I've said this morning, walk away with that. Recognize that God has given to you according to your ability. He holds you accountable only to the grace he has shown you. Don't compare yourself to your brother or your sister around you thinking they've got more talents. Think about your own context. What has God given to you and how can you build his kingdom with those talents? Go to God and seek him diligently in this matter. Being a good steward may look differently and may produce different and varying things. Be comforted that God's response is the same to each of us, each of his good servants. Use all that God has given you. Live this life of an, with an attitude of being prepared, being ready, being productive. Don't be complacent. Don't be passive. Be active in bringing glory to the master. Be driven in growing and multiplying God's kingdom. This is what he expects of his servants, those whom he loves, those whom he trusts, those whom he invites to share in his happiness. Be aware that God will hold you accountable for how you steward your talents. So be faithful with what you have been given. This should not land as daunting. This should land as exciting. God has given to you and invites you to share in his work. This is way more than a responsibility. It's a challenge, yes, but it's, it's a joy. It's a privilege. Do you yearn to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Importantly, this is not something we do on our own. While the master is away on his journey, we are not left alone. Can I use the illustration of a basketball game one more time? You're in a team. You have others on the court working towards the same end. We're a church, as we've heard this morning, we're a family. Do not get into the mindset that this is something you do by yourself. No, you have the people of God to encourage you, to hold you accountable, to spear you on, and you do that for them. And significantly, you have God working in you and through you. The Holy Spirit is enabling you to be able to use your talents for the glory of God. This is an amazing parable. It's all about how should we respond to God's amazing grace. And the answer is to use everything that we have for the glory of God. This is the only way to respond. I pray that as we have been working through this parable that we've been both encouraged and challenged. And I want to end on this challenge. I want us to answer the question, how are we responding to God's grace in our lives today? Every one of us has to keep coming back to that question day after day after day, the side of eternity. How am I responding to God's grace today? The grace of God is not in question. Our responses.
Let me now pray that all of us here may one day enter into our master's happiness. Isn't that the goal of the Christian life, friends? Let us pray. Master of all, you give us grace upon grace. You make us stewards of your kingdom, trustees of your estate, workers in your harvest field. We often reject and neglect you. We refuse and hide. We give ourselves to lesser joys and lesser kingdoms. I pray that you forgive us, God. By the help of your spirit and for the glory of your name, make us prudent, productive, and patient servants. May we live our lives to glorify the good God who loves to give good gifts. And at the end of our lives, may we enter into his happiness. Amen.